Hello, this is Pastor Nathaniel, and you're listening to the Edit Talk for the Itty Walk podcast. Here you'll find messages meant to edify and encourage God's people in the maturity, purity, and unity that comes from following Christ. From devotional thoughts to sermons from our Sunday morning services, my prayer is that the time you spend listening to this podcast will help you grow closer to our Lord and also lead you to loving others like He loves us. Let's get right to it. Last week, we talked about the best kind of sorrow. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is the best kind because it brings life. While worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings life because it brings repentance and we turn away from the way that leads to death. This morning we're going to talk about how godly grief brings certain change. So I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. As you turn there, I just want to remind you what Jesus and John the Baptist used to preach. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. How did Jesus start His ministry? He would preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Some of you might be thinking, it would be nice if our message was just that short this morning. But Paul has a lot of good stuff to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 1 through 10. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we, had, we were harassed at every, every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. 
Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how Your Word speaks. I thank You for how Your Word is timeless. I thank You for how Your Word helps us grow in our relationship with You, individually and corporately. Lord, I thank You for uh, the call to preach. I thank You for the message You laid on my heart for this morning. And I pray that as I preach, only Your Word would be spoken. And Lord, we would see what You have in there for us. And that Your Holy Spirit would, would lead and guide us with Your Word. And Lord, so we can live for You. Live the lives that are being transformed so that we're made more like Jesus. Lord, I also thank You for the time we'll have in communion together. Thank You for the blessing of that sacrament. And Lord, I I pray You bless the rest of this service. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start by telling you what I'm going to do tomorrow. We're going fishing. It's getting to be my favorite thing too. Uh, so the girls and I have been fishing down at Canadice lately. And tonight, if it rains, we're hoping the night crawlers come out. It's fun hunting for night crawlers. Now, a couple months back, we weren't hunting for night crawlers, we were hunting for snakes, right? Anybody afraid of snakes? So we found a snake. He was about that big. In fact, shortly after we found the snake, we found a night crawler that was that big. And if you're listening to the podcast, the snake was only about six inches. The night crawler was probably a foot long. So... Uh, but you know what we found after we found the snake of the night crawler? Grandpa spider. Anybody afraid of spiders? Uh, this sucker was this big. He probably could have ate the snake and the night crawler. You could tell he was he was old. He he moved slow, but he could jump. I guess that's what can make spiders scarier, right? They they start to jump. I'm not as afraid of spiders as I used to be. You know what that's called, right? Arachnophobia. And I've I've shared this before, but metathesiophobia, you know what that is, right? Of course. 
It's the fear of change. You know, you might hear people say that the number one fear, even even more fearful in public speaking, is death. No, I got that backwards. People say that public speaking is more fearful than death. But I would argue that the fear of change is the biggest fear of all because with change people aren't they, they don't know what to expect and we're afraid of the unexpected huh covid's a good example of that you just don't know what's coming next it's a bunch of uncertainty and then you know what we give into the fear and how do all those news networks get our attention they get all that fear out there get us hooked pardon my french i'm going to use a four letter word actually two four letter words back to back And I stole it from Dave Ramsey. There's fear porn out there. Because what happens is those news agencies get us so addicted to the fear that we have to keep tuning in or checking online or see what's going on because we're addicted. Because we want to know what's coming next, right? We want to know what's going on. We want to have answers. Because we're afraid of change. Frankly, sometimes change isn't good, is it? But the change He wants to do in us is good. It's certain change. Certain we know that He has only our best in mind. And that's what repentance is all about, isn't it? Repentance, that word in the Greek, literally means to turn from. And we think about that first turn. We realize we need a Savior. This sin in our lives, it's killing us. And we need forgiveness. We need a Savior. We need to be made right with God. We look to Jesus for that. So what do we do? We repent. We confess our sin and we turn from it. That's the first turn. But this is not a NASCAR race. It's not just a one turn the whole time. Unless you're a NASCAR fan, you know there's road courses. There's lots of turns. And in the journey of life, there's lots of turns in there. In our Christian walk, repentance is a good first place to start, but it's also a saving grace as we go along in our relationship with God. See, there's regeneration, that initial change, that saving faith. Then there's transformation. You might think, oh, I've been to church a long time. I don't need to repent. Where I go to church, I don't need to repent. Well, guess what? Sometimes we have to. Let me rephrase that. We need to. Now, the, the church in Corinth, they needed to repent. We heard in 2 Corinthians how Paul said, I felt bad, I felt a little bad. I wrote that letter and you were really sorry. Well, they should have been sorry. We're going to talk about how this church had issues. All you have to do is go back to 1 Corinthians, the entire letter. The letter that kind of upset the church in Corinth. 
and you read through there and you review the sins of that church and you see why Paul had to write a letter that maybe hurt people's feelings and caused repentance. The church was filled with division. And I want to give you the specific spots in 1 Corinthians that you can see this. That way you can go back and listen to it and look it up and study it. But if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, you see the church was filled with division. As a matter of fact, if you're going back to 1 Corinthians, all you have to do is go to chapter 1, look through chapter 3. You might have a heading in your Bible that says divisions in the church. I just thought of something cute that I saw a couple weeks ago. I went to a conference and uh, it was a leadership conference and they asked these little kids, what's leadership? And this little girl says, leadership is about math because you don't want division. The church was filled with division. It was filled with pride. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, 4, verse 18, 14, verse 37. They had issues with pride. Not only that, they had issues with immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. They had issues with fraud. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. They had issues with questionable practices. They would eat food sacrificed to animals. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to take communion this morning. The church in Corinth would abuse the Lord's Supper. They would abuse spiritual gifts. Oh, if you want the Lord's Supper reference, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you read about how they abuse spiritual gifts. And if that wasn't enough, they denied the bodily resurrection of believers. And the Lord's pretty clear about one of the benefits of our faith. When we find salvation through Jesus Christ, that's the only way you know, we have eternal life. So, that church had issues. That's why Paul wrote the letter. Now, before we start picking on that church, let me tell you about a conversation I recently read about. Uh, Pastor Denny, his son Stephen, passed along some books to give to me. Uh, am I cutting in and out? No. It sounds like I am. So, Jim, I'm going to pull up the pulpit mic and turn off the lapel. How's that? So anyway, the author of the book, his name is Jim, Jimmy Dodd. And about 20, 25 years ago, the Lord had him start a ministry to pastors called Pastor Serve. And uh, so the name of the book is Six Relationships Every Pastor Needs. And one of those relationships is a mentor. 
And the mentor that Jimmy Dodd has is a guy by the name of Jack Miller. Jack Miller is the founder of the World Harvest Mission. And now when the two of them get together, Jack always starts their time together with a statement and a question. The statement is this. Cheer up, Jimmy. You're worse than you think. (laughs) Told you, before we start picking on the church in Corinth, cheer up, church. You're worse than you think. But... You are more deeply loved by Jesus than you can ever comprehend. That was the statement. The question that Jack always asked Jimmy, what are you repenting of right now? That might be a good question for each of us every day. What do I need to repent of today? Well, that'll help you grow. Initially, we might think, oh, there's nothing I need to repent of. What do they say? I don't drink, chew, date girls that do. (laughs) There's nothing I need to repent of. How about pride? How about complacency? Here's something the church in America, I'm not just picking on us, but something to consider. How about idolatry? Church, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. I get worried, and I might get in trouble for this. But even the denomination, when we start preaching things other than Jesus, we're getting off track. So what about idolatry? What about hypocrisy? (laughs) I mean, there's things that we may need to repent of. And that's just the corporate things. I didn't even get in the individual stuff. Some of that might apply. There might be other stuff. I like how Jesus addressed the situation in Luke chapter 18. And in fact, I love how Jesus did this. He told this parable, and then we meet a tax collector named Zacchaeus. I know, I say Zacchaeus, you say Zacchaeus. Envelope, envelope, right? I'm right, it's envelope. Luke chapter 18. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. How about that? That was a trap. There was even a comparison trap back then. 
He goes on to pray, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then we hear about Zacchaeus. Are you happy I said it right? (laughs) A tax collector who had cheated lots of people. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the... Very good. And what did Jesus do? The Lord looked up that day and saw Zacchaeus and He said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Now, after they went to Zacchaeus' house, what happened? Repentance. Genuine repentance. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, I'm in verse 8 of Luke 19. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now. He didn't wait to repent, did he? Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus looked at him and said, Today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now it wasn't because he gave half his possessions to the poor and paid back four times what he owed. He did that out of his love for his Savior. It was the difference that Jesus made in his life that caused the turnaround. A wholehearted turnaround, wouldn't you say? And that's what happens. Godly sorrow, godly grief leads to repentance. And you know what repentance leads to? Revival. Sure doesn't sound like this church in Corinth was the same church that Paul wrote to. In fact, we read about it in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. Paul was grateful for the church and how much they cared for him and how much they comforted Titus. There was some kind of spiritual revival that happened within them after they had repented, after their sorrow. There was a change. It was genuine. There was fruit of it. And that's what happens with repentance. There's a change in us, and that change catches fire to others. 
Now, I've, I've said this recently, but the Lord keeps bringing me back to it. It's funny, I was talking to my pappy on the phone a couple months back. It's my dad's mom. He likes, he likes to call in the, the radio station, sports line. All West Virginia knows my pappy's voice. It's a statewide sports line. It's also a local town sports line in Morgantown. Anyway, Pappy calls up, and Pappy started preaching. But he called the preacher before he started preaching. He said, "There's this, there's this passage in Scripture. I just, I, I can't remember. It talks about how you know repentance and revival and how it works." He said, "Pappy, you'll remember this." And I'm not bragging that I'm a great preacher, but I'm a football fan. So this is how I remember this, and this is why I told Pappy, because he's a football fan. It's Second Chronicles 7.14. Now, if you're a football fan, you know that if two teams score three touchdowns, one scores one touchdown and gets the extra point, they got seven points. The other team scores a touchdown, they get actually two touchdowns, and they get both extra points, they have 14 points. 7.14, get it? Second Chronicles 7.14. But I listened to the radio this summer and I made this the first podcast because it spoke to me so much. We hear this verse quoted. Pappy quoted it on Sportsline. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal heal their land. Shoot, we used this verse four years ago for our town tent meetings for the bicentennial. It's a good one. But when I listened to the radio one day, I realized, boy, I really haven't heard this verse before. Because it doesn't say, like I think, boy, this world needs revival. It's going to hell in a handbasket. It doesn't say if this world repents. It says if my people. So who does it start with? It starts with us. Maybe we need to repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I can't say, hey, Colin Kaepernick, humble yourself. Starts here. They will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As we close things out here with the message and get ready to take communion, don't be afraid of repentance. You can be afraid of spiders. Be afraid of change. But with God, we don't have to be afraid of death or repentance. In fact, godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to revival, new spiritual life. 
There is a French theologian. And why do people ask stupid questions? Especially when someone's on their deathbed. This guy's on his deathbed. And somebody asks him, what will you miss the most about this life? (laughs) Not you. (laughs) What will you miss the most about this life? In his grace, this French theologian gave a one-word answer. Repentance. It's often the first step in a forever journey. It's not a one-time thing. It's a starting place. But it's also a saving grace. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate us on iTunes or like our page, Springwater Church the Nazarene, on Facebook. Have a great day and Lord bless.